0: Chapter Nine of the Flight of the Shadow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Flight of the Shadow by George MacDonald. Chapter Nine The Garden. I remember nothing more to disturb the even flow of my life till I was nearly seventeen. Many pleasant things had come and gone. Many pleasant things kept coming and going. I had studied tolerably well. At least, my uncle showed himself pleased with the progress I had made and was making. I know even yet a good deal more than would be required for one of these modern degrees feminine. I had, besides, read more of the older literature of my country than any one I have met except my uncle. I had also this advantage over most students that my knowledge was gained without the slightest prick of the spur of emulation purely in following the same delight in myself that shone radiant in the eyes of my uncle as he read with me i had this advantage also over many that perhaps from impression of the higher mind i saw and learned a thing not merely as a fact whose glory lay in the mystery of its undeveloped harmonics but as the harbinger of an unknown advent for as long as i can remember my heart was given to expectation was tuned to long waiting i constantly felt felt without thinking that something was coming i feel it now were i young i dared not say so how could i compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses to the commonplace do i not see their superior smile as with voices sweetly assiduous they quote in reply love is well on the way he'll be here to-day or at latest the end of the week too soon you will find him and the sorrow behind him you will not go out to seek would they not tell me that such expectation was but the shadow of the cloud called love hanging no bigger than a man's hand on the far horizon but fraught with storm for mind and soul which when it withdrew would carry with it the glow and the glory and the hope of life being at best but the mirage of unattainable paradise therefore the rest of deceptions little do such suspect that their own behaviour has withered their faith and their unbelief dried up their life they can now no more believe in what they once felt than a cloud can believe in the rainbow it once bore on its bosom but i am old and therefore dare to say that i expect more and better and higher and lovelier things than i have ever had i am not going home to god to say father i have imagined more beautiful things than thou art able to make true they were so good that thou thyself art either not good enough to will them or not strong enough to make them thou couldst but make thy creature dream of them because thou canst but dream of them thyself nay nay in the faith of him to whom the father shows all things he does i expect lovelier gifts than i have ever been ever shall be able to dream of asleep or imagine awake i am now approaching the verge of womanhood what lay beyond it i could ill descry though surely a vague power of undeveloped prophecy dwells in every created thing even in the bird ere he chips his shell should i dare or could i endure to write of what lies now to my hand if i did not believe that not our worst but our best moments not our low but our lofty moods not our times logical and scientific but our times instinctive and imaginative are those in which we perceive the truth in them we behold it with a beholding which is one with believing and though nothing can bring back the hour of splendor in the grass of glory in the flower could not wordsworth and cannot we call up the vision of that hour and has not its memory almost or even altogether the potency of its presence is not the very thought of any certain flower enough to make me believe in that flower believe it to mean all it ever seemed to mean that these eyes may never more rest upon it with the old delight means little and matters nothing i have other eyes and shall have yet others if i thought as so many have degraded themselves to think that the glory of things in the morning of love was a glamour cast upon the world no outshine of indwelling radiance should i care to breathe one day more the air of this or of any world nay nay but there dwells in everything the father hath made the fire of the burning bush as at home in his son dwelt the glory that set free broke out from him on the mount of his transfiguration the happy making vision of things that floods the gaze of the youth when first he lives in the marvel of loving and being loved by a woman is the true vision and the more likely to be the true one that when he gives way to selfishness he loses faith in the vision and sinks back into the commonplace unfaith of the beggarly world a disappointed Sneering worshiper of power and money with this remnant of the light yet in him that he grumbles at the gloom its departure has left behind He confesses by his soreness that the illusion ought to have been true He seldom confesses that he loved himself more than the woman and so lost her He lays the blame on God on the woman on the soullessness of the universe anywhere but on the one being in which he is interested enough to be sure it exists his own precious greedy vulgar self would i dare to write of love if i did not believe it a true that is an eternal thing it was a summer of exceptional splendour in which my eyes were opened to the glory of the sum of things it was not so hot of the sun as summers i have known but there were so many gentle and loving winds about with never point or knife-edge in them that it seemed all the housework of the universe was being done by ladies Then the way the odors went and came on those sweet winds and the way the twilight fell asleep into the dark and The way the Sun rushed up in the morning as if he cried like a boy Here I am the father has sent me isn't it jolly I saw more sunrises that year than any year before or since and the grass was so thick and soft. There must be grass in heaven. And the roses, both wild and tame, that grew together in the wilderness. I think you would like to hear about the wilderness. When I grew to notice and think and put things together, I began to wonder how the wilderness came there. I could understand that the solemn garden, with its great yew hedges and alleys and its oddly cut box trees, was a survival of the stately old gardens haunted by ruffs and farthing gales but the wilderness looked so much younger that i was perplexed with it especially as i saw nothing like it anywhere else i asked my uncle about it and he explained that it was indeed after an old fashion but that he himself had made the wilderness mostly with his own hands when he was young now this surprised me for i had never seen him touch a spade and hardly ever saw him in the garden and when i did i always felt as if something was going to happen he said he had in it tried to copy the wilderness laid out by lord st albans in his essays i found the volume and soon came upon the essay on gardens the passage concerning the wilderness gave me and still gives me so much delight that i will transplant it like a rose-bush into this wilderness of mine hoping it will give like pleasure to my reader for the heath which was the third part of our plot i wish it to be framed as much as may be to a natural wildness trees i would have none in it but some thickets made only of sweetbriar and honeysuckle and some wild vine amongst and on the ground set with violets Strawberries and primroses for these are sweet and prosper in the shade and these to be in the heath here and there Not in any order I like also little heaps in the nature of mole Hills Such as are in wild heaths to be set with some wild thyme some with pinks some with germander that gives a good flower to the eye some with periwinkle some with violets some with strawberries some with coslips, some with daisies some with red roses some with lilium covalium some with sweet william's red some with bear's foot and the like low flowers being withal sweet and sightly part of which heaps to be with standards of little bushes pricked upon their top and part without the standards to be roses juniper holly bearberries, but here and there because of the smell of their blossom red currants gooseberries rosemary bays, sweetbrier and such like but these standards to be kept with cutting that they grow not out of course and just such in all but the gooseberries and currants was the wilderness of our garden you came on it by a sudden labyrinthian twist at the end of a narrow alley of yew and a sudden door in the high wall my uncle said he liked well to see roses in the kitchen garden, but not gooseberries in the flower garden, especially a wild flower garden. Wherein lies the difference? I never quite made out, but I feel a difference. My main delight in the wilderness was to see the roses among the heather, particularly the wild roses. When I was grown up, the wilderness always affected me like one of Blake's, or one of Beddoes's yet wilder lyrics. To make it. My uncle had taken in a part of the heath which came close up to the garden leaving plenty of the heather and Ling The protecting fence enclosed a good bit of the heath just as it was So that the wilderness melted away into the heath and into the wide moor The fence though contrived so as to be difficult to cross being so low that one had to look for it everywhere the inner garden was surrounded with brick walls and hedges of yew within them but immediately behind the house the wall to the lane was not very high end of chapter nine